Bibles turn to Joshua chapter 11. We'll let our young people be dismissed for children's Bible time with Mr. Frank. Second grade on down, children's Bible time with Mr. Frank. Children of Israel left the land of Egypt. They were there in bondage. They spent time in the wilderness, 40 years, wandering, complaining, frustrated. And now, in Joshua, they come to the promised land. And it just seems like a, a, a never-ending conflict. I don't know if life ever seems like that way to you. A never-ending conflict. There is death, there is struggle, there is pain, and there is suffering. And you may ask, when will it ever end? Will I ever get rest from these struggles? Will I ever find peace, victory over the enemies of life, rest? From the struggles of life? And the answer is in eternity. But while we're here, there's battles to be fought. We're in Joshua chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, had heard these things that he sent to Joab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Aethgah, to the kings that were on the north of the mountains and the plains of Chinnerah, and in the valley and in the borders of Dor on the rest, on the west, and to the Canaanite on the east and on the west, and to the Amorite and to the Hittite, to the Perizzite, to the Jebusite, in the mountains and to the Hivite, and under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they went out, they and all their hosts with them, much people. How many, even as the sand of the sea that is upon the shore in multitude with horses and chariots, very many. And when all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. Father, I pray that you would help us to be encouraged in the battle this evening. There is fight and warfare. There is spiritual struggles. There is certainly spiritual wickedness in high places. And uh, we uh, need to be convinced tonight for the necessity of putting on the whole armor of God and be ready to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. To be convinced tonight that we are not the first ones that have been challenged in this manner. We need you. We need your help. Tonight we cry and ask for you to help us to stand true in the battle, to stand strong. We ask for victory this evening, even though the enemies appear on paper, to be overwhelming. Well, the odds are not in our favor. But God, you help us to realize our need for you. We'll praise you for what you do in our hearts this evening. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is a never-ending battle. There have been successes for the children of Israel at Jericho and Ai. They have... Great battle we saw last week in chapter 10. The sun stood still and the enemies have heard it. Verse 1 of chapter 11, they heard it. The world hears about what God is doing. And it should cause them to stop and say, maybe it's time for us to make peace with God. But that is not going to come. And we have been this year memorizing Revelation chapter 20. And during the millennial reign of Christ, that thousand years where Christ is ruling and reigning and where wickedness has been kept at bay, 
when Satan has been bound and is not going around uh, tempting and pushing and prodding, mankind will still rebel against God. And when Satan is loosed at the end of that, of that thousand years and he went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camps of the saints about in the beloved city, he is still going to amass an army of people during the reign of God's goodness that are going to reject him. It is difficult to even comprehend of the depth of the depravity of mankind. And I hope you've been coming to the Sunday school hour. Uh, Brother Oldenburg in the auditorium, uh, Brother Parsons' uh, class downstairs, uh, the teenage girls and guys in uh, studying the uh, prophecy, what is to come, uh, some great lessons and some great Bible truths. And it ought to cause anybody who doesn't know Christ to desire to flee the wrath to come. But many do not. They look at what is predicted in God's Word and they say, well, <laughs> we're going to defeat him. <clears throat> the kings of the north heard about the defeat of the kings of the south, but they did not seek peace. They did not ensue it. They did not desire uh, with Joshua uh, a truce or uh, come and talk to us about a God and how we can live at peace, how we can be at peace with God. Uh, they were the enemies of God. They did not desire peace. They had failed to learn from history. What is that lesson? Don't fight against God. We read the testimony of uh, Miss Clark this evening. What? Had she failed to learn as a teenager growing up in church around the old gospel songs and the teaching of salvation whose brothers and sisters and mom and dad had came to know Christ, but she, in that family, in that environment, made a decision that she was going to be the enemy of God and she was going to fight. But what does she testify? There was no peace because God's Word tells us, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. The world does not learn. But my question for you tonight, Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, are you fighting against God? We can see that it is not productive for the enemies of God, but as a Christian, you are a child of God. Are you fighting against your Heavenly Father? Verse 4 is an interesting it gives an interesting phrase. How many people, this, these types of questions uh, come across our mind. It says a host. How many people, because the Bible doesn't tell us, how many soldiers did all these kingdoms have that had they amassed themselves against Israel? Uh, the secular historian Josephus writes that there were three, these, these kings had amassed 300,000 foot soldiers and 20,000 chariots. It was said of military, of military times, writing about this era of world history, that one horse was equal to a thousand foot soldiers. They had 20,000 chariots in battle. They had the latest military strategy. They had the best Armament that the world had to offer. They were on the cutting edge of military might, but they were at war with God. 
from a Jewish perspective, they were vastly outnumbered. And I'll just say, your problems today may seem overwhelming. It may look like in your life things are hopeless. But don't ever count out God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, wrote this, For we, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled, Christian is at your desire. To rein in those thoughts and those desires to be in obedience to Christ. Because there is no peace, save my God to the wicked. 1969, many of you will not remember that. But in 1969, in Cleveland, Ohio, I would have been... 1969, I would have been eight years of age. And as an eight-year-old, I, I remember this news event that happened in Cleveland, Ohio. And we weren't much, uh, we didn't get a, a paper except for the Brown City Banner, uh, which was basically a Gossam colonist of who went where and did, did what. Uh, we didn't get the, the Detroit Free Press because we, uh, we were too poor to get that. Uh, uh, TV at the time, we didn't have one, uh, and I probably didn't have one for another two years. And then it was a black and white, big, big box set with big tubes in the back. And uh, so, oh, where'd you get your, where'd you get your news from, from the radio? We, we listened to the radio in 1969. 1969, Cleveland, Ohio, Thomas John Conrad, 20 years of age, was a bank teller at the Society National Bank. Now, times were different in 1969. He would invite his friends over and they would walk into the bank vault and have coffee breaks with his friends. He'd invite his friends off the street and they'd go into the bank and they'd walk in the vault and they would, they would pull out the big stacks of money and play with them. Uh, you can't do that today in, in the bank. I just, just, you, you shouldn't do that today in the bank. You won't do that twice uh, today in the bank. <clears throat> in 1969, they did that. And he started thinking to himself, you know, it would be really easy uh, to walk out the bank with a whole lot of money and nobody would ever catch me. And so he did. It was on, a, I believe, a Wednesday afternoon. He loaded up in his uh, duffel bag uh, $215,000. In today's currency, that the equivalent would be $1.7 million. He put one point, the equivalent of one point... This is not a good plan. <laughs> I can see you thinking, I need money. Uh, this is this is not good. Uh, One point seven million dollars in his duffel bag. And he walked out at the end of the day on Thursday, he called in sick on Friday. He called in sick on Friday. They realized uh, there's some cash mission. It took them two two days to figure out there was some cash missing from the bank vault. And who do you think they looked at? Well, the police wanted to know who's called in sick. Well, Thomas J. Uh, Thomas counted. And so the search was on. They started looking for him. They looked high and low. Uh, but he had two days head start. And they could not find him. It has been one of the top cases of the FBI 
Uh, going back to 1969, 1979, it was unsolved. 1989, it was unsolved. 1999, it was unsolved. 2019, the case still unsolved. Timothy's thinking this is a good plan. Timothy, this is not a this is not a good plan. You think you know what? I can get away with sin, and you can do some things, and maybe think that you got away with it. But you can't run from God and you can't run from yourself. You can't run from your conscience. I remind parents when they come and talk to me and say, my, my son, my daughter is giving me a difficult time. I said, pray with them. They've got to pillow their head every night just like you do. And when they pillow their head and they start to try to drift off the sleep, they remember the things that they've done, the evil things that they've done, the bad things that they've done, the bad words that they've said, the bad thoughts that they've had, the trouble that they've given you. Mom and dad, your children are blessed if they have a mom and dad who are praying for them and for the Holy Spirit of God to torture them every single night. Boston, Massachusetts, 2021. Are you familiar with what happened in Boston in 2021? Thomas Randall had cancer. He was going to die. He had a terminal illness. He called his daughter into the room and he said, My dear, I want to confess to you that I am a wanted fugitive. His daughter laughed because... Her dad was kind of a goofball sometimes and would jerk her chain. And he said, no, honey, I'm not, I'm not joking. In 1969, I walked into the bank in Cleveland, Ohio as a teller and walked out with $217,000. It was easy back then to obtain a new Social Security number and a new date. He said, I picked a birth date that was uh, uh, just about uh, two months from my real birth date. And uh, I am, I'm a wanted fugitive. After I die, you need to call the FBI and tell them uh, so they can clo- close that case out. And she was, uh, she, he said, all, all these years, he said, I've been up here in Boston. I've lived a life. I got married. Uh, you're, you're, you're my child and you bring a delight to my life. He said, but I can't escape the fact that I am a wanted fugitive and the FBI has been looking for me for all these years. What could he not do? He could not escape his conscience. You can't run from God. And he passed away. And his daughter made the phone call. And the FBI closed the case. But more important than the FBI closing their case, have you closed your case with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because when he stepped out of this life, Boston, Massachusetts, that he knew, he stood before... The ultimate judge, God, and had to give an account for what he had done. And if he had sinned, and he had, and if he was a fugitive because of sin, and he was, if he not, had not received the pardon, which is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, he's going to suffer this. Although it may have appeared on paper that the 300,000 foot soldiers and the 20,000 chariots were going to be successful against God, they were not. Look at verse number six. And the Lord said unto Joshua, be not afraid of them. <laughs> Seriously. God, are you seeing what I'm seeing? They, they've got a mass of humanity as the sand of the sea and, and chariots. 
And we don't have any of that. But Joshua knew that he had God on his side. And God said, the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel, and thou shalt hoe their horses, I mean make them lame, and burn their chariots with fire. That's just like, you know, God, this is not a good plan because we are a developing people and nation and we could use those horses to our advantage and we could use those chariots to our advantage. But God does not want you to trust in your personal resources. God wants you to trust in Him. Psalm 20, verse 6 says, Now, now know that I... That the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. Let the king hear us when we call. You, as a Christian, as a believer, as a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords, you have something mightier than foot soldiers and 20,000 chariots. You have the Lord God Almighty. The question is, not is that help available. The question is, will you avail yourself to that help? Will you cry out? Uh, many, many times somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I've got this huge problem. What do you recommend I do? I said, man, every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'd be at this altar on my knees crying out to God, asking for God to help me and to deliver me. And people typically look at me and say, is there anything else I can do? Because I don't want to do that. And when we don't cry out to the Lord, we don't get his help. I had a man, uh, he and I are dear friends, they're having trouble at his church. And uh, he said, Brother Bishop, he said, what do I do? And I said, man, I tell you what, uh, this, you, you can't fight this battle. This is a spiritual battle. You're not going to fight that uh, in, in the pew with wisdom and lawyers and, and courts. It's not where it's going to be won. It's going to be won on your knees. And you need to get down to the altar and fall on your face before God. And get some other men in the church to get on their knees and fall on their face before God. And get to that altar and beg God at every service to intervene. And he looked at me and he said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I still know the man today. I still, I still fellowship with him today. He calls me on the phone. I call him on the phone. I would consider us... Very good friends. But when it comes to spiritual battles as Christians, and he is a Christian, he did not think that he could do that. And he did not think that he could convince the men of the church to do that with him. Do you want to know why we do not have victory in spiritual matters? Is because we are not willing. We are not willing to humble ourselves. I understand that the heathen kings aren't going to do that, but we should. Joshua had victory against Jericho, against Ai, against the kings in chapter 11 because he was willing to humble himself in obedience to God and let God bring the victory. And God did. And so, uh, verse, verse 7, Joshua came and all the people of war with him against them by the waters of Merom. Suddenly, the need for immediate obedience. And what happened? The Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel and smote them. 
And notice the obedience of Joshua in verse 9. And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him. And he hoed their horses. He made the horses lame. Didn't kill them. He lamed them. And burned the chariots. Why did he do that? Because God told him to do that. Because Joshua realized, we can't, if, if, if I cause Israel to put their trust in their military might, we are doomed. Listen, as a nation, if we trust only in our military might, we are doomed. We are doomed to failure. Joshua, verse 10, Joshua at that time turned back and took Hazor and smote the king thereof with the sword. Verse 11, he utterly destroyed them. Verse 12, he utterly destroyed them as the Lord commanded. Verse 14, he utterly destroyed them. Do you think, do you see a pattern in those verses? Where the need not just for God to give a victory, but the need for complete obedience to what God has commanded. Will, will you cry? It, it was, uh, it was Thursday. I was having a good day, or Tuesday. I was having a good day. I shared this Wednesday night. I was in, in, in the driveway. Uh, things were calm. I prayed the Lord as I do when I leave the house. Lord, help me. Uh, I need help in my driving. Now, I am an angry driver. I just got to tell you, it does not take much in traffic to get me frustrated. And, and I thought I, I hide that pretty good. Uh, but uh, we were taking a quiz just recently. And the quiz was, which one of the two of you, Miss Bishop and I were taking the quiz, we're taking with the young adults, which one of the two of you is more, is your husband likely to be a calm driver or a, uh, a, a, um, a angry driver? And uh, she wrote angry. And I said, really? Really? Me? And yeah, yeah. And so I realized, man, I, I need God's help. So I was in the driveway. It was a calm day. I was not in a hurry. I, I had lots of time to get to my appointment. And I pray, Lord, help me to be a Christian driver today. Back out of the driveway, very slowly pulled up the hill, went down the other side. I'm still in the neighborhood. Came to the first stop sign. There's a trash truck coming. My peace was gone. Oh, I can't get behind the trash truck. And so I, I jumped out at the stop sign and, and pushed the pedal down. And I'm halfway through the block thinking, it, I, I lasted a whole block and a half be, before I lost my Christianity. And I had, to, I had to slow down and say, Lord, help, help, help. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in trouble. Friday. I don't know if you were traveling in Springfield on Friday. But the electricity was out from Rose Hill all the way to Springfield. When, when the electricity goes out, some of you teenagers aren't aware of this, the lights don't work. At the traffic signals. And when all the... Are you paying attention? Ryan, are you with me? Where's Ryan? Ryan outside? Ryan will tell you, people in Virginia don't know this. But you have to get this question right on your driving test. But you've forgotten. So pay attention. Because we're going to give it to you today. When the lights are out in all different directions, everybody has to stop. It is supposed to be treated like a four-way stop sign. Now, on a four-way stop sign, 
this direction stops and that goes. And then after they go, they go. And after they go, they go. And then the next set of cars go. It's, but not in Virginia. It's like, who's got the momentum? So the first set of cars goes and the second one and the third goes. And I'm over here going, it's my turn! It's my turn! And I'm going, it, this is what, if you saw me in the car, this is what you see. It's my turn! And now nobody can hear me because the windows are up. And they got their radios going. But, but, but I'm yelling at them. And so I, I had to make a stop at Home Depot. And I'm in Springfield. The light's not working. There's nobody coming towards us. Traffic is cleared. There is a car in front of me in the left turn lane. And he's sitting there waiting for the light. The light is off. The light is not working. The light is probably never going to work again. Go. Go, people. So I beeped on the horn. And he looked at me like, the light's not green. The light is out. And, and, and I'm back there going, the light is out. Would you please go? There's nobody coming. And he waited until traffic came and he couldn't go. And if you were watching me, this is what you would have seen. He's like, how can you be so dumb? It, go, please. And, and I realized, man... I'm, I'm the preacher, and, I, and I'm in the flesh, and I need God's help for driving. Now, you're thinking, uh, Pastor, when are you going to be on the road? Because I don't want to be on the road when you're on the road. That's probably a good bet. It's probably a good bet. I, I'm just saying, I need God's help, not just in the morning when I'm sitting in the driveway, but as I'm driving down the road, actively interacting and, and I can't even say they're Maryland drivers. They were all Virginia drivers. I, I, I need God's help. You need God's help for the everyday battles of life. It is not enough to say in the morning, God help me. When your teenager interacts with you at the breakfast table and, and gives you a snide remark or flips their, uh, rolls their eyes at you, and you want to reach over the table and you want to gouge out their eyes with a spoon, you need God's help. And before you gouge out their eyes with a spoon, Melanie. Because Caden looks like an eye roller. I don't, I don't know. And you, you probably should stop and ask God for help. But we don't. And we struggle with the warfare of life. With our parenting. With our driving. With our schoolwork. With our... Interactions with friends and parents, we struggle. Article caught my eye because I'm in Michigan. Warming up without turning up the heat. How do you warm up at your house without turning up the heat? Well, you can get some heavy drapes. My parents do that. They pull the drapes. They're really thick to try to keep out the winter cold in Michigan. Uh, When the sun goes down, they pull the drapes. And, man, it's like dark in the house. Layer up. Man, I, man I, I hate being cold. You'll come to the house in the evening, and I'll have uh, seven Afghans uh, layered over top of me. Miss Bishop got a weighted blanket for me. She can't stand it, but I, I, I enjoy it. <clears throat> Seal the drafts. I'm working on that. Uh, put a rug on the floor. That's important. Use lamps to heat an area, a table lamp where you're sitting. Uh, <clears throat> And I read the article, they left out one thing. There's no way to warm up to God without repentance. 
There's no, listen, Christian, there is no way to warm up to God without obedience. There, there's no way to do that. And th- there is no amount of drapes or covers that you're going to put on that is going to cover sin. There's just no amount of thing that's going to do that. Joshua kept at it. Verse 15, as the Lord commanded. How long did they fight? Verse 18 says, Joshua made a long, war a long time with all those kings. Eventually, verse 10, he, he, he destroyed the head. He smote them all, utterly destroyed them. Listen, and so should you. Don't keep something in your house that is going to trip you up. Don't keep something in front of you that is going to cause you to err. Don't keep a reading book or a magazine subscription active that is calling, causing you mentally to walk away from the Lord and do things and think things in a way that you should not. Confrontation needs to happen. Why? Look at verse 20. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts. When you say no to God, you harden your heart. When God tells you to do something and you don't do it, you harden your heart. And so it is said, this, people look at this, and especially when it comes to Pharaoh, people say, well, did Pharaoh harden his heart or did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh harden his heart? And the answer is yes. When you say no to God, Christian, you harden your heart. If you're here and you're not saved, every time the Holy Spirit speaks to you and say, come to Christ, come to Christ, come to Christ, and you say, no, not today, no, not today, no, not today, no, no, maybe later, every time you say no, it gets easier and easier and easier to say no. And there'll come a time when you're sitting in the auditorium and the Holy Spirit won't speak to you anymore because you said no for the last time. Christian, you think it's going to be different for you? You sit in the auditorium, God speaks to your heart. You open God's Word, God speaks to your heart. You say, no, no, not today. Oh, not that. Oh, I'll give you this and this and this and this. We treat God's Word and, and God's commands like a smorgasbord. You know, I'll take a little piece of pizza. I'll take a little, a little meatloaf. I'll take some cotton candy. But spinach? Okra? No. God, God's Word is not like a smorgasbord. You can't take what you want and leave the rest. It's not a buffet. You've got to obey. Joshua did. And he had success. Do you want success? Here's the list. You want success? Avoid negative people. Avoid negative people at work. Avoid negative people at school. Avoid negative people uh, in the home life. Some of you, are uh, you're, you're in trouble. Because there are negative people everywhere you go. So this gal, Liz, she found the perfect man. True story. Liz found the perfect man. Now he had a he had temper problem. And and he hit her once in a while. But she loved him. She loved him. Um He's not the guy his mom would have picked out. He had, he had quite a few tattoos. And he was loud. And he was obnoxious. And he had an alcohol problem. And they were out on a date for the first time. And she really liked him. And he, he, she, loved, she loved all that. And she was just drawn to that. And he looked at her and he said... Hey, I, I know that you're attracted to me. I know we've made a connection. And I know you want to get together next week. But uh, 
I got to go to court on Monday and I'm probably going to go to jail. And she said, I'm okay with that. And so he did. He went to jail. Over and over and over again. This is what she said. There were red flags. There were warnings. My friends warned me. My family warned me. My co-workers warned me. My schoolmates warned me. But I wouldn't listen. Tonight, God warns you. He talks, calls. Are you listening? She had to learn the hard way. And get beat up and maimed and abused before she said, you know what? I'm not going to put up with this anymore. What is it going to take for us to come to Christ? Matthew 11:28 says, come unto me and I will give you rest. 1 Corinthians 6:18 admonishes us to flee fornication. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 admonishes us to deny self. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 tells us to abstain from all appearance of evil. 1 Peter 2.11 warns us to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. We like to obey the easy commands. Christianity 2023. We like to ignore the commands that require self-denial. That require us to kneel. And cry and say, God, I need your help. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Why is my life in so much turmoil? Why can I never seem to get victory? Selective obedience is disobedience. Selective obedience always results in disorder and disaster every single time. You're a Christian here this evening, and your life is in disorder and disaster. If you're like the preacher, you'd have to say, I'm, I do pretty good until I get behind the wheel. And then I need God's help. And preacher, tonight God has laid something on my heart. It's something I need God's help in, and I haven't cried out to Him. I haven't been on my knees at the altar in a long time. It might be family, it might be work, it might be relationship, it might be financial. Definitely it's spiritual. It's a spiritual battle. Tonight God is speaking. You say, preacher, would you pray for me? God has spoken to my heart. Raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Christian, are you listening? It's not a buffet. You've got to obey. Father, I pray for Christians this evening. They desire. They're going through a struggle. The battle is real. The forces of evil are, are raging in their life. And I pray, Father, that this evening they'd humble themselves and fall on their face before you and beg for your help. And then tomorrow morning they'd do the same. And when they're halfway down the street, that they'd do the same. In humility, asking for your help. Asking for the victory. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here this evening. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. He has called and you have told him no on more than one occasion. But tonight he's calling again. You would be wise to listen and respond to that call. Say, preacher, I'm here, but I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. He is called. I have refused. Tonight he's calling again. I don't want to refuse. Preacher, would you pray for me? God is speaking to my heart. I'm not saved. I need to be saved. Raise your hand. Hold it up for just a moment. Let me remember you in prayer. Okay. Okay. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation Piano is going to play. We're going to stand to our feet. Heads are going to be bowed. Eyes are going to be closed. And I'd encourage you 
to walk the aisle, come forward, let a man take a Bible and open God's Word and show you how you can be at peace with God. It's time to stop the fighting and embrace the solution. I'm going to pray that God will help you to do that. Father, I thank you for these men that have raised their hand indicated they have a sin problem and they need a solution and that solution is in you and you have called them before and they have said no but tonight they're not going to say no tonight they're going to say yes and i pray that you'd help them give them the strength to do that satan wants them to sit in their seat and stay seated and stay where they are father that is not going to lead to anything but